0: Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program exploring all the high-stakes speed bumps and off-ramps of driving to the top of your market with our host, Chris Beal from Connect and Sell and Corey Frank from Branch 49. We're missing Corey Frank today, but we still have a meaty solo episode for you from Chris. Chris is diving into a perplexing sales practice, coaching cold calls perplexing because everybody talks coaching up, yet so few actually do it. He explains why this type of coaching is critical yet so scarce. Why both the coach and the call induce fear and how to actually make coaching work. With compelling examples from golf and hostage negotiations, Chris breaks down the elements of an effective coaching framework. The key simplify each call into bite-sized pieces and target very specific first failures to drive rapid gains. This episode overflows with accessible coaching advice for sales leaders. Join us for this Market Dominance Guys episode, Reps Dread It, Managers Avoid It, Coaching.
1: (laughs) Hey, everybody, Chris Beal here with another episode of Market Dominance. Guys, I'm going solo today. Corey's tied up doing well, some kind of work, probably super useful, I'm sure. And um, I got a moment. So I thought I'd do something fairly quick, but a subject that's really been on my mind a lot recently, and that's coaching. And it's amazing to me, but probably shouldn't be that there's so much talk about coaching in sales and there's so little actual coaching. So the question is why, and is, is there something we can do about it or is this is there something we should do about it? First, I believe that at least for ambush calls, for the cold call and the follow-up call that are unscheduled, coaching is, is super important and super effective. And the reason is that it's a short performance and the performance has gotta be pretty precise to be effective, but it doesn't have to be perfect. And we often fail fairly early in a cold call or fairly early in a follow-up call. And when we do, we don't have a chance at what would come next. There's not a lot of recovery time because there's an inclination on the part of the person receiving the call to go ahead and say, hey, um, great, uh, thanks for calling me, goodbye. And that's if they're being nice. So what to do about it? Um, well, one thing that's recommended, and one thing that's done a lot is recordings. So you record so that you can uh, have a, a recording for the coach to listen to and for self-coaching. And for self-coaching, recordings can actually be reasonably effective as long as the person who's coaching themselves has got a framework, they have a way of looking at and thinking about the recording. And as long as they get over the hump with regard to listening to themselves, a lot of people are very, very uncomfortable listening to themselves on a recording. I know I used to be, maybe I still am for all I know. I used to make recorded videos back many, many years ago when I worked at Martin Marietta, now Lockheed Martin, and I'd make a video every day. And these were training videos in the world of software design and software development requirements, engineering, subjects like that. And uh, first few times I had to just look at that camera. How far away was it? I don't know, 16 inches, something like that, big studio camera. And then even worse, spend the afternoon with my good friend, Mr. Singer, going through the the material and editing it. And first I didn't have a very objective view because I was too concerned about that mismatch between what my voice sounds like to me inside, no echoing in my bony head, and what it sounds like when it's recorded and coming back to me. So with recorded coaching, even self-coaching, it's rather challenging to get to the point where you're listening, I would say, clearly, and you still have got to have a framework that you're listening for. And so it's hard. Using recordings to coach somebody else that's really commonly said that it's happening. It's really, really common. There are products out there whose purpose is entirely to help you coach your reps. And what I tend to find is they don't get used very much. And when they do, they tend to get used in a way that isn't very effective. Either some scores are put on them that says, you know, you did this well at this, you did this well at that, kind of like grading a paper or something like that. Or they're used to point out multiple places that the rep could have improved. And while it sounds great, most of the time, one, it doesn't happen, it's just too much work. And two, the reps don't know how to really interpret those offline comments, those comments that came from somebody listening to a recording and making uh, their observations, whether structured or unstructured. So meanwhile, there's an Allego study that says, and I think it's pretty accurate, that 54% of sales managers report that they provide an optimum amount of coaching, but only 37% of sales reps agree with their managers on that one. And 93% of sales managers report the coaching sessions they're providing are high quality. Only 68% of reps agree with that. And I guarantee you, that's not for coaching ambush calls, cold calls, and follow-ups. Now, why am I so kind of focused in on ambush calls, because when we're out to dominate markets, we only have that first opportunity to make a good impression. And that good impression means getting trust. So the whole concept of market dominance, as we put it forth here on Market Dominance, guys, pretty simple, pave the market with trust, harvest that trust over the next 12 quarters that it's gonna take for the folks in your market, overall, all of them, to ultimately decide that they're going to replace their current solution with a new solution, which is when you have a shot. So you've got a lot of patience, you have a lot of persistence, you have a lot of structured follow-up management that needs to be done. And in addition, you have these very short conversations that require coaching and they tend to happen, especially now in a work from home world, they happen somewhere else where the manager no longer is. So the old, idea of walking around and at least standing there and listening for somebody to get a connection with the target and talk to them uh, that doesn't happen as much anymore you can't really walk around your rep's living room or their office or wh- whatever at home or at some starbucks god forbid and and listen for them uh, also if you're using conventional dialing technology like a telephone or a regular dialer. You're just not getting that many conversations. So if you're talking to, say, two people an hour, that's a long wait for the coach. So it's super inconvenient and expensive people like managers or coaches, if you have a specialized coach, which are pretty rare, simply don't have the time to stand there and wait for a conversation, especially given how many of those conversations end up being super short, 10, 15 seconds, because they're a brush off, because they're a quick hang up, because the other person really didn't want to be ambushed, which is always the case. And the skill wasn't there to get through the first part of the conversation and get to something that felt more coachable. So it's quite quite interesting when we look at the world of coaching. I think everybody knows it's very important that it's almost impossible to improve without it, that the unit of change within a sales team that's doing outbound calling is the individual rep a rep will be very stable in their skills over time they don't jump up and down with regard to their ability to open or their ability to get curiosity or their ability to handle standard kinds of cold calling objections or their ability to close for the meeting those things are pretty stable one of them is the current bottleneck of their process and as the coach you need to find that one and then help the, the rep see a better way of executing that. And I guess I'll say feel progress. That is when they execute in a better way, it not only produces a better result, but it feels better. It's a very emotional business cold calling. And it's because we, when we call, we're the invisible stranger. And we know that those objections really are kind of personal away, not to us as a person, but to us in the role that we've chosen to adopt, the person who ambushed them. And so we already have some concerns inside us about that. And it's kind of difficult to get over those concerns and and get on with it, much less to perform something new under that stress. So you know, why is it that we don't coach cold calls and unscheduled follow-up calls very much? Well, they're, they're not scheduled. So the coach can't make themselves available, but they're also very fast. A lot happens in a short amount of time. So what should you coach? Do you coach something overall like the tone or the pace or how confident they sounded? Do you coach their word choice? What do you you coach? It's not obvious what to coach. And so generally what does get coached, if anything, is a bit of a mishmash. And the coach, the manager tries to get as much in to that particular coaching unit, I'll call it that feedback unit, as they can. And there's just no way to change multiple things at the same time for the next performance as a rep. And and so you just end up with kind of a mess. Uh, The other thing is there's, there's multiple agendas. So for instance, we run at Connect and Cell, we run these things called flight schools. And in the first session of flight school, which goes on for three hours, you're making cold calls as the student. You're actually doing real calls. You're doing the whole call end to end. Your goal is the usual goal. You're trying to get somebody to put a meeting on the calendar. And yet for three hours, you're going to be coached for the first three hours on every conversation or at least almost every conversation immediately after the conversation. While it's still fresh in your mind and fresh in your body, quite frankly, you're going to be coached on how well did you execute the first seven seconds of that conversation? The first seven seconds are well known now by a number of, of uh, folks who've studied this to be the amount of time we have to get someone to trust us and given that trust is imperative in b2b both within the call and then over the long period of time that we might have a relationship with somebody if if we move forward with them trust is so important we have to make sure that we nail it so we spend in our flight schools 3 hours on just practicing getting trust And we do it the way that Chris Voss, the author of Never Split the Difference, how to negotiate as if your life depends on it, taught me one evening when I was very fortunate to get to ask him this question, how long do we have to get trust in a cold call? He said, seven seconds. And he said, but it's easy. All we have to do is show the other person we see the world through their eyes. We call it tactical empathy. And then we need to demonstrate to them that we're competent to solve a problem they have right now. Well, we are the problem. Cold caller is the problem they have right now. So it's very easy to offer a solution to that problem. And it's actually fairly straightforward to make it clear that you see the world through their eyes. Just declare yourself to be a bad thing and move on. So we teach people to say, I know I'm an interruption. Can I have 27 seconds tell you why I called? I know I'm an interruption. Says I'm a bad thing. And I'm not interrupting your day. I'm an interruption. Notice I'm a noun. I'm a a bad thing. Nobody ever says, oh, an interruption. That's a great thing. And then immediately we change our voice to a playful and curious voice. And we offer a solution to the problem they have right now, which is us. Well, there is in all of that, I can only say a lot. So when we're coaching, we've got to Find one part to work on, and then we need to master that part because that part comes before the next part. And if we don't master the first part, there's nothing to master in the second part.
0: We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer, investor, or partner is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's time to really go big, you need to use an uncommon methodology to gain attention, frame your thoughts, and employ a successful sequencing that is fresh enough to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. From crafting just the right cold call screenplays, to curating and mapping the ideal call list for your entire TAM, Branch 49's modern and innovative sales toolbox offers a guiding hand to ambitious organizations in their quest to reach market dominance. Learn more at branch49.com. And we're back.
1: It's kind of like uh, if I uh, swing at the golf club at the ball and I miss the ball or I hit it off the heel or off the toe or whatever, it doesn't really matter how great my follow-through looks. It's just like, get over that. What we need to do is actually figure out how to do the thing before we might hit the ball. It might be our stance. It might be our grip. Maybe the way that we take the the club back. It may be whether we're keeping our head relatively stable. There's a bunch of things that we need to do, but they're all before impact. None of them are after impact. So when we're coaching, we need to coach the before and then observe the after and then go back and coach the before again. So this It's very important to have an agenda that's appropriate for what you're able to coach, rather than the agenda being, let's make the whole thing better. And there's various pieces, cold calls are quite short, maybe five sentences that are always there and maybe three or four more that are sometimes there, average length of time is about a minute and eight seconds, unless you successfully schedule a meeting, in which case you've got another, say a minute or so of meeting logistics work to do. So in that call, lots can happen. You've got to get trust. You've got to get at least acquiescence to move forward. You have to get curiosity. And that's something that takes about three hours to coach also, is just the curiosity element of the call. You need to avoid too much value because too much value leads to the classic, we're all set uh, objection, the objection that is frankly not handleable. And so we've got to avoid that. Learning to avoid something is very hard. We're tempted to bring in more value and under stress, we tend to say we're great, here's something more about us. And so uh, learning how not to do something is actually much harder than quite frankly, learning to do it. So these are keys to different parts of the call. So you can't really coach the whole call. You You have to break it down. And then you have to allow time between the coaching sessions and the learning sessions in order for that to be internalized, repetition is super important. After you've coached one thing, first failure, we call it, you need to have the coachee, the rep, actually repeat that particular thing that they're going to say, probably three, four, five times immediately before going and performing again. And you're you need to have a mechanism to get the next conversation kind of quickly. I think that's how we at connect ourselves fell into all of this coaching and training stuff. We never intended to be there, but we do provide conversations pretty quickly, you know, a minute and a half, two minutes, if you're connecting to the next live human, maybe three, four minutes, if you're connecting to the perfect target, the actual person on your list. And that amount of time is still long enough that your coaching uh, input and the practice that you might have done will start to fade. So that's why it takes repetition before the performance and then repetition of the performance. And the next coaching cycle should be immediate and it should be first failure. Actually, it should be, okay. you did that a little bit better, but, you know, this still could be improved. So that's really key to getting coaching to work. The coaching has got to be immediate. Uh, Most coaching is way, 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 way too late. Coaching somebody on Friday about a performance they had on Monday, uh, don't bother. It's just not going to get anything done. This is where I think managers often confuse kind of what I'll call deal work with coaching. They think that they're coaching. They're actually talking through how a deal might go, what some tactics and techniques might be. And they get an agreement from the rep to do something better, different, whatever, uh, in the next interaction that they have with the prospect and that feels like coaching. That's more like advising, and it's nice and it's important unless it's just war stories, but coaching is really to improve performance, and you need to have the performance and the coaching and the performance and the coaching be very close to each other in time. Minutes is okay, not very many minutes. Hours is too long, and a week may as well be forever. So the other thing that is required for coaching to work is you need you actually need a script. There's nothing to coach to without a script. Coaching to generalities just doesn't work. If I'm going to teach you how to swing a golf club, I've got to have a specific idea in mind of how the golf swing works. I can't teach you a generic and kind of like. Well, it'll be whatever it happens to be. Let's see what feels good. I have to have a plan. You have to adopt the plan then we have to break the plan down and because it's a ballistic activity a golf swing or a cold call they they follow um a pattern and what you just did determines what you get to do next or what you can do next you can't stop golf swing part way down successfully i know tiger woods can do it i tried it once and you know if uh, if this were on video i'd show you the two broken fingers that i, I got for my efforts uh, somebody was walking in the way of it so it was probably worthwhile but It just showed that you think you can do things that you probably can't do. That is, you have this this very sort of ballistic activity, but it needs a plan. It needs a first thing, a second thing, a third thing, a fourth thing. You need to start with the first one, and then you need to be coached through that until you've mastered it, not to perfection, but to being sufficient to support the next one. If you're getting enough, folks, to go with you and trust you into the second part of the conversation, then you can start to be coached on getting curiosity. A classic cold call. cold call goes from fear, that's the prospect's fear, not yours, to trust in seven seconds because you did the two things Chris Voss says you should do, to curiosity, which is how we avoid too much value. Too much value and triggers the, hey, we're all set objection. And then from there into, basically, commitment, asking for a close. You make an offer. Let's meet. And then you've got to handle the natural objections. After all, you ambush somebody. And you have to also be ready to set yourself up for some sort of a follow-up conversation later, because most of the time, you're probably not going to get a meeting on a cold call. So um, these are all important. I'll call it tactical factors. In coaching, you need a script as a framework to coach to. You coach to first failure. You need to have immediate repetition and practice of what the rep's gonna say next. Then they need to have performance hard on the heels of that experience. And then you're observing for where they improve and for still first failure. And then you give the feedback on where they improved. The coaching on the next thing to practice, you practice three, four, five reps and go back in and perform again. So that's that's the essence of coaching. Now we have kind of a real problem though, which is that the, the coach and the call are independently scary. The coach is probably the manager and managers have hiring and firing authority or at least strong influence over the people on their team. And that means the coaching may be interpreted as judgment judgment on performance that might lead to potentially loss of job. It's very hard to improve performance unless you feel free to try whatever it is that's being suggested. And when you're afraid of failing at that thing, you're less likely to perform it particularly well. So you have the coach being scary, and then you also have the call itself being scary because nobody likes to be that invisible stranger. Invisible stranger tends to get rejected. People don't like to be rejected, Jeff Blunt wrote a beautiful book on the subject called Objections, about how we feel objections as rejection. And rejection is one of the most painful things we can feel. I have a theory as to why, in the environment of evolution, the village being rejected ultimately could mean being rejected from the village. The word for that is exiled, and, and exile was generally considered a punishment worse than death. So we're, we're afraid of the coach because they hold power over us and we're afraid of the call because we know we're the bad thing and we know we're gonna trigger a response. And you put those two fears together and they tend to be somewhat paralytic with regard to performance. And everybody's different uh, with regard to how they handle that kind of fear. Some people, they can perform reasonably well even if they're scared in multiple dimensions. Um, you know These people can go out and be a concert pianist or a major league baseball pitcher or whatever, and they can be under tremendous pressure and still perform. Most of us haven't practiced that much and don't have that much sort of, I don't know, Prozac running in our veins, I suppose, is a way to put it. So what do we do about it? Well, one thing to do is just physically remove the coach. So that's natural in work from home, You can't really feel in a product like Connect and Sell, if you're the user, you're having conversations with people. You don't really feel like somebody might be listening to those conversations, even if they're clicking the little whisper button after the conversation to give you their positive feedback and to give you their first failure observation, to let you practice a little bit with them and and to go back into pushing the button, as we call it, and having the next conversation. But... That physical separation is actually very effective because out of sight is out of mind. It's hard to keep in mind two things. One is I'm talking to this person that I just ambushed. And the other is that somebody I can't see at all is listening to me. So that's a good separation to achieve. And it's actually one of the reasons that the old walking around um, listening to somebody, or as I said, why that's where you plug into the audio line, you plug into the headset as the coach and you're listening. That's why that's actually a harder environment, the physical environment to get high performance, which you want. You want the highest level of performance because you're looking for what shows up as a flaw when performance is good. When performance is bad for some other reason, somebody's, you know, they're sick, uh, they're they're grieving, whatever it happens to be, that's a bad time to coach. All we're going to find out is that they're sick or they're grieving or whatever. That's We're not going to learn very much. So what can we do about all this? Well, emphasize long live coaching. Listen in. Be patient. If you don't have technology like Connect and Cell, you're going to wait a while. You can coach multiple folks at the same time if you can at least aggregate the audio and switch from one to another and get an indication when a call is actually in play when somebody's talking. And again, coach one thing at a time, first failure, avoid the temptation to coach the entire conversation, use repetition immediately before the performance and of the performance itself. That is repetition before of the fragment to be tried a little bit differently and repetition of the entire call. I think it's a great idea to coach about 20 calls in a row over maybe three hours. That's why we structured flight school like that. But at least having repetition of the entire performance and repetition of the coaching fragment is important. Tune up your listening. There is drift. Everybody drifts. They drift from best practice under pressure. They go to what's comfortable. So a rep who might've said at one point, I know I'm an interruption, might take up saying, I know I'm a bit of an interruption, or I know that I'm interrupting your day. Those are very, very different. And the rep goes there because, quite frankly, it's more comfortable. Comfort is always the enemy of performance in almost everything. And in cold calling, it sure is. So you might get comfortable as a cold caller, but there's a more comfortable thing to do, which is to not be as good a cold caller. So use a simple script. Five sentences are enough to get the job done with the framework. Drive out fear every way that you can, including not being physically present and use recordings to model great calls, not to critique. Practice listening to recordings with your reps to find the things they improved and let them find the flaws on their own. For recordings, it's a little bit challenging to go in and say there's your first failure because it isn't followed by an immediate performance. So in summary, coaching is tremendous for cold calls and for follow-up calls. It makes a huge difference. You're you're asking somebody to perform something very difficult, very technical, very nuanced, uh, very ballistic one thing leads to another in a challenging emotional environment where they know they are a bad thing. And there's no getting around that last part. They never become a good thing. Even if in your heart, you know, you're trying to help somebody, you also know, you know, you're an interruption. So it's super important to coach. It allows us to uh, move the needle actually fairly quickly. We know in these flight school sessions, we've seen we've seen teams go from like 40% of quota to 110% in four three-hour sessions and stay there as long as there is coaching for drift that goes on on an ongoing basis. Simplicity is the key. Coaches got to have a chance of listening for the same thing over and over. So it's really, really important to do it. But most of what's called coaching isn't really coaching. It's kind of advising. Uh, It's too far after the fact. So if you can, if you can figure out uh, ways to be listening behind the scenes, coming in and whispering to somebody immediately after a conversation and uh, helping them perform that little bit better on first failure, you'll find over time that, and fairly short amount of time, that what you're hoping for in the bottom line, which is conversion rates small number of conversations leads to a bigger number of meetings, and a larger number of meetings are being set per rep hour, which is the key number, you'll you'll find that stuff improves on its own. So start from the beginning, you'll get to the end eventually, you'll get some great results. So for market dominance, guys, without Corey Frank here, I'm Chris Beal. Just thought you might like a sort of practicum on coaching and happy calling out there
0: connect and sell welcome to the end of dialing as you know it give your fingers a rest with connect and sells patented technology you'll load your best sales folks up with eight to ten times more live qualified conversations every day and when we say qualified we're talking about really qualified like knowing how many tears they shed while watching the end of toy story kind of qualified learn more at connectandsell.com